0: Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunstreet. Over the past 12 months, Dunstreet has partnered with organisations across Australia and the globe to train leaders, develop engagement strategies and empower people to organise for change. In 2020, Dunstreet will continue to work with folks that want to make a difference, inspire hope and give communities the chance to build from the ground up. To find out how you can partner with Dunstreet, hit us up at dunstreet.com.au. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic. My name is Stephen Donnelly and today's episode is the next instalment of the US Democratic primary season. We've got Sam Schneidman on the line who has been in isolation for a couple of weeks now, or certainly a couple of days, and to talk a little bit about the most recent round of primaries, which was uh, on St Patrick's Day, the 17th of March. Uh, in Arizona, Illinois and Florida. We'll also touch on the primaries that were held on the 10th of March, which was across a number of different states that Joe Biden won all of, but North Dakota. Um, We'll also talk a little bit about coronavirus, just because everyone else is and you can't escape it right now. And it would be interesting to see how Sam and people in his community. He's living in, um, in Brooklyn, New York, which is one of the areas that are most impacted in the United States at the moment. We'll hear from him about that as well. So a uh, lot of things to get through on this week's episode of Socially uh, Democratic. Don't forget that the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher or your favourite podcast app. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to leave us a review and give us a rating. And for all the updates on Dunstreet's socially democratic podcast and Dunstreet stuff, follow us on (laughs) Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Let's just get to today's episode. We're taping this one on a Thursday morning in Australia and it's a Wednesday evening in uh, New York or Brooklyn, the United States. On the line from the US of A is my good friend and former organizer for Obama for America, Sam Schneidman. How are you? Good day. I'm uh, doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. I, uh, we haven't spoken for a couple of weeks now, Uh, a lot's
1: happened since then a lot
0: has happened since then um and i uh when i think about what's happened uh and obviously we've got you on today primarily to talk about the u.s primaries because that's what we've basically been doing now for the better part of a couple of months um but Clearly, things have happened in the United States in uh, more recent times since we last spoke that has clearly gripped the nation the nation. And I find it very hard to concentrate on the primaries right now. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on the fact that the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, has not re-signed from the New England Patriots. <laughs> Yes, that that is what is all-consuming the United States of America at this point. I will point out, I I do, Jess, but I will point out, it did knock coronavirus off the front page of both the the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald for at least one day.
1: There's a lot of people saying that this is a conspiracy to uh, to sort of support and bail out sports media amidst a total blackout of sports uh, in the United States at the moment.
0: I know, I, I, um, I pity Also,
1: he's going to Tampa Bay? Yeah, I like, know. Like, for real?
0: Like, what is with that? For real? I'm, I actually, and, you know, my morning, it's stuffed up my morning. I'm a creature of habit, for those that do know me. And every morning I wake up and I have my breakfast and I read the Boston Globe online. That's what I do. And I'd stopped reading the Boston Globe when the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts to the Dodgers and.
1: Which also, what?
0: Yeah, I know. Like, literally, look at his numbers. He is the modern day Ted Williams, and we traded him for trying to get under the luxury tax and I was so pissed off about that and I haven't read the Boston Globe for months since then because I was so depressed about it and only last week did I start reading the Globe again because spring training started up and I thought I better get back in touch with what's going on and now this happens and uh, because I go to ground that's what I do when things upset me I go to ground and uh, I'm devastated I can't I can't even bring myself to just even start to read the analysis of why Tom Brady, who has been with New England for the better part of 20 years, has won six Super Bowls, is the greatest quarterback in the history of the sport, has decided to basically finish out his career in Tampa.
1: Well, there's going to be some interviews coming in a few months where we figure all this out.
0: Yeah, anyway. Anyway so let's I think it 's actually worthwhile We are going to talk about uh, the um, the primaries the democratic primaries and unpack the results from tuesday 's primaries in Arizona, Illinois, and Florida. But before we do that, you are in New York. Uh, coronavirus has really ramped up and the, the the obviously the actual impacts of the virus have ramped up in the United States. And I'm just very keen to, to get a sense from you about what is actually happening on the ground. What are folks, you know, how are they dealing with it? Uh, what is their attitude towards the Trump administration and the way they've been dealing with it? Uh, there's a whole bunch of things I want to talk to you about there. So just give us a sense about, first of all, how has that impacted directly on you and your everyday life?
1: Well, it's dramatically changed it.
0: Um, life here in New York is
1: surreal. Uh, the streets are totally empty for the most part. Uh, you have people out like walking or running. But uh, other than that, you know, there's not much happening. People aren't really going to work. Uh, I have not really left my apartment since last t- t- Monday night. Uh, so we're on seven days now of like this total lockdown uh trying to really minimize contact with that the outside world and um you know the city that never sleeps is definitely asleep it's wild to think about and um i think that this will go down as one of the most unforeseen events uh of human history much like in you know in my lifetime certainly like 911 or the um Global financial crisis in 2008. Um, so it's definitely totally surreal and spooky here. Um, and you know we're hearing uh, confirmations of more and more cases, and the American healthcare uh, system is really on the precipice of um, disaster uh, by being totally overloaded. And so there's a, there's a lot of anxiety around that.
0: Uh, if you rewind a month, two months ago, and look at interviews that uh, President Trump had conducted and when was probed about coronavirus, uh, he was in complete denial. He was saying that there was only a couple of cases in the United States that they're under control, that the these numbers are going to decrease. It's, it's not a problem. Two, basically in the last three or four days, he's now doing daily White House briefings. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's been clear directions to the public and to the States to go into isolation. Uh, there's now this huge, big, was it 33? 300- well, I would just push back on that. There has not been clear direction. It's been very,
1: uh, sort of uneven and haphazard. And a lot of the direction has been sort of like, uh, social pressure. And, um, some States have really urged social isolation where, other, whereas others haven't. So in New York, um, there's been great efforts at social, social isolation here. Uh, and in California, the Bay Area has now mandatory shelter in place where you can't leave your residence unless you're doing an, an urgent task like buying food or getting medicine or going to a doctor uh, or like going for an extra going for a run or a walk. But you have to maintain six feet of distance. That's mandatory in a misdemeanor, if you get uh, get caught, that's that's in place until mid-April. Jesus. Um, so New York is New York City is trying to determine whether or not they're going to do the same thing here. There's
0: a bit of criticism and, of the mayor, though, isn't there, uh, De Blasio, and also yeah, and the governor. Yeah, you know, he went to the he's
1: telling everybody uh, don't go out, but then went to the gym, uh, which is like the worst thing you can do. So he's not doing well for modeling behavior. Uh, He's been slow to shut down our businesses um, and uh, shut the schools.
0: Are the schools still open in New
1: York? The schools are finally shut as of uh, a couple days ago on Monday. Yeah. Um, It's a lot of, it affects a lot of people and a lot of people depend on schools for social services and for child, not just education, but childcare. Because, you know, we don't have paid family leave in this country. Uh, they depend on it for nutrition. A lot of students get uh, meals from school that they wouldn't be able to get at home. And so uh, it's a big part of the safety net here. So the schools are open for uh, you, you know providing meals at this point. I think two a day maybe.
0: All right. So what's the, um, I mean, you're in a pretty progressive part of the country or sort of center-left part of the country, but what's been the the uh, mood on the ground in terms of the way that the Trump administration has handled this spread of COVID-19?
1: Well, it's hard to say what the mood on the ground has been because I don't see anybody. Yeah. Uh, so on the ground is sort of the internet that, uh, you know, um, everybody else sees, but I think that there is um, a real sense of frustration with the administration. South Korea and the United States experienced their first cases of coronavirus on the same day, and South Korea flattened its curve and is on the other side of the thing through mandatory through strong uh, strong testing regimen and um, you know widespread social isolation. Whereas here, uh, our curve is not yet flattened. Um, We're going to see a lot more cases coming up and we're trending more towards the pattern of Italy than South Korea. And uh, the Trump administration has been very slow uh, to um, provide the full resources of the federal government. And I think you're starting to see the real consequences of um, a lack of um, full staffing of the government. There's a a host of positions that are critical that are unfilled, uh, just like ha- don't, he never nominated anybody to fill them. And then uh, there's a lot of political scrambling uh, to try and give the appearance that this thing is under control and not as serious as it suggests, um, because I think Trump understands that this is a real uh, albatross for him politically. Uh so there's a lot of frustration on both sides of the aisle that A, there's not enough testing and testing is so critical to containing this virus. B uh there's a ventilator shortage and a supply medical supply shortage, which is crazy in the United States, mm-hmm. right? In a country where um healthcare is one-sixth of our economy, like one-sixth of our GDP, we don't have enough medical supplies to keep our doctors and nurses and emergency uh, technicians safe uh, while they deal with these overcrowding hospitals. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of frustration uh, there, and it seems like uh, everyone's just trying to ride this thing out.
0: Uh, the, it's been really interesting to watch Fox News flip on this because a week ago they were Their editorial line was nothing to you know nothing to see, see here nothing to fear this is just what a- was beyond that is people using this
1: to damage the president um but uh I think people understand now that this is so real for people on a personal level it's starting to get to the point where you um this virus is going to affect someone you know and you love. Mm. And um, there's no guarantee that if the virus comes for that person or you, that everything's going to be okay. Uh, and I think people are really spooked by that. And I think uh, the fact that everyone, on a very, on like a human level, on a level that sort of like transcends politics, um, people sort of get that. And are uh, are starting to treat this thing with a bit more respect. And to this extent that you know, Fox is the political machine that it is. Um, they understand that there's a you know they feel it on a human level, but they also understand the political liabilities and ramifications around this disease.
0: But it felt like um, the only voice that was on that channel that. that a week ago that was actually saying, no, no, this is some serious shit, was Tucker Carlson, and evidently, I don't know whether this is true or not, but he went and visited the president and said, dude, you're, you've are you got this all wrong, this is a serious problem, and then only then did we notice Trump start to change his um, tone on this, which is pretty scary when you think about it. You have to get a talk talkback TV host to go talk to you about your... Um, your well, that's your... been
1: the case for the last four years, you know? His main, like, advisors are Sean Hannity, you know, like... The people who have the ears of the president are Sean Hannity, uh, For it used to be Alex Jones, the InfoWars guy. If you, for the Australian listeners, if you don't know who he is, Google him. It's worth it. Actually, don't Google him. Go to YouTube and put in Alex Jones <laughs> yeah. InfoWars. Yeah, You'll love it. Um, So, yeah, you know, the president has relied on these kooks for the last little while to uh, give him uh, some guidance. And um, it's it's become uh, become a real thing here uh, on a human level. Um, And for the people listening here in Australia, um, I would urge you to take um, personal care um, and then reach out to your loved ones and make sure that they are um, starting to practice self-isolating practices. And then um, the other thing that I would do is urge you to get politically involved and um, reach out to your members of parliament at a state and federal level uh, because we're seeing that the effectiveness of the people who represent you at all levels of government Really matters in staying on top of this thing um, and making sure that this doesn't turn into uh, a full scale disaster.
0: Yeah, we're in a funny position here in Australia because we're on, uh, I guess, a geographical isolation from being away from the rest of. Uh, well,
1: I think like the tyranny of uh, distance. It is ingrained in the Australian
0: identity. Yeah, right?
1: it it really and... is. But
0: we're on delay, and we have a crystal ball about what is um, what is to come, what is sort of coming down the pipeline for us. Because we're seeing what happened in Europe, we've seen what happened in in parts of uh, Southeast Asia, and obviously now in the United States, and how different governments have responded to it. And I think there's a sense of frustration on the ground here in Australia amongst the community about the way our leaders, in particular Scott Morrison and the federal government, all eyes are looking at them to say, why are you? Why is there inconsistency in the way that you're making decisions? Why is there hesitancy in the decisions that you are making when we've seen that um, governments that act quickly and decisively tend to have a better chance, I'm not saying that they're, they're on top of it, but they, they're, they're getting, having a better chance of trying to manage at best the spread of the virus, whereas governments that have, uh, you know, uh, have been fidgeting while, while Rome burns kind of sort of situation, like we're seeing in the United States and like in Italy, um, and putting a lot of pressure on a health healthcare system um, has been a major problem. So there's a lot of frustration among Australians about, come on, let's, let's get going here. Um, even if you're like, I, I live and work in the CBD of Melbourne, Um, we're taping this one at lunchtime on Thursday Um, the main streets out the front of my building are usually really, really, really busy obviously Um, but it's quite quiet out there right now um, clearly, yeah. even businesses, even though they're not getting directions, clear directions from the government, are taking the initiative to say, "Hey, guys, why don't you, if you can, why don't you all go work from home for this period until we can get through this?" Restaurants are incredibly quiet. Restaurants are closing down or you know shutting down for the month of March, for, and we'll you know sort of say, "Well, we'll let you know what's going to happen in the future." So there's a certain un, there's a lot of uncertainty here in Australia, but we're not getting a lot of guide, a great deal of guidance from the government, and I think I think the problem is. Is that they are trying to work out? Do we seek to save the 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 health of our citizens, or do we seek to save the economy? And I read an article in the uh, in the Economist last week by a British um, academic who was saying you can't do both. You have to pick one or the yeah. other, and ideally, you actually have, you should be choosing to save the the health of your citizens because that will impact on the economy anyway. Uh, yeah, and
1: also just like
0: human, you know. You gotta, you gotta take care of
1: your people. Like, what is an economy without people? So,
0: but I think there's a skepticism uh, by Scott Morrison and some people in his government that don't actually realize the significant threat that this virus.
1: Has. Well, I mean, look, if I am an Australian, I'm thinking back to December and the way that um, the fires were handled, and I'm looking at coronavirus, and I'm not, I wouldn't exactly have the utmost confidence in Scotty from marketing.
0: No, I don't. Um, I, uh, I share those same but,
1: opinions. But uh, if um, I, you know, as an American, I think it's a bit surreal to experience this. And it's a, um, it's sort of a slow moving, less precipitous 2008 financial crisis in the sense that, um, you know, this is going to affect our politics, but we don't quite know how yet. And um, you know the two candidates are very much at risk, and their health and their vitality is it can it's going to maybe be a thing uh, in this election for Mm.
0: sure. Well, it's a good segue. Let's turn to uh, the Democratic primaries on Tuesday, uh, St Patrick's Day, and benacta failure to all of our Irish listeners out there. Um. Uh, you had another series of uh, primaries, in particular in the states of Arizona, Illinois, and Florida. Uh, Ohio uh, postponed theirs. They were scheduled to hold primaries on uh, March 17. Um, and just to run through the results there, um, Joe Biden swept Arizona, Florida, and Illinois, picked up 37 uh, delegates in to Bernie Sanders' 28 in Arizona. He picked up 151 pledged delegates to Bernie Sanders' 52 in Florida, and he picked up 93 delegates to Bernie Sanders' 60 in Illinois. There are still uh, 20 delegates across those three states yet to be assigned. Um, and before that, uh, in between the, when we last spoke, Sam, there was the March 10... Uh, primaries which were conducted in Washington State, North Dakota, Missouri, Mississippi, Michigan, and Idaho. Biden won in Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, and Washington, and Bernie Sanders won North Dakota. That was his only victory uh, on March 10. So this has been an amazing turnaround for Joe Biden when you consider – he came fourth in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire and was a poor second in Nevada to now be leading the delegate count with 1,180 police delegates to Bernie Sanders' 885. 1,991 needs is the magic number to win or to clinch the nomination. He's now around about 800 police delegates away from doing that. There's huge results. What are your first takeaways from the um, results in Tuesday?
1: Well, it seems that uh, you know um, if you look at the t- turnout patterns, um, Bernie has hit uh, a ceiling of his support in uh, within the Democratic Party of about 30 to 35 percent. And there appears to be strong motivation to defeat Trump and um, that uh, motivation has coalesced. Uh, in support of Joe Biden, particularly in the suburban areas uh, where, you know, if I'm Joe Biden's campaign, I'm thinking that's a pretty good thing because I'm going to need those voters to help me uh, beat Trump. And one thing that's interesting is that these um, turnout patterns uh, in the primaries, especially uh, within the, you know, since South Carolina, so in the last month, really mirror um, what Uh, You saw in the 2018 election that uh, swung control of the House of Representatives back to the Democrats from the Republicans, uh, which was a strong showing against the GOP and Trump uh, from uh, primarily the suburban areas. Uh, So it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, if that sort of pattern is enough to to propel Joe Biden uh, in a general
0: election. The win for Biden in South Carolina uh, and then the, um, the suspension of uh, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar's two campaigns and their swift endorsement of Biden, how important was that for Joe Biden heading into Super Tuesday and taking us all the way through to where we are right now? I think
1: it was really important from a narrative uh, or symbolic standpoint in the sense that um, Bernie Sanders uh, was running a campaign where he was going to tear it all down and build something new. And there's a lot of people out there uh, who I think are sympathetic to, to Bernie's message uh, apparently but uh we're a little bit skeptical of the politics and so when you had people like Pete and you had Amy Klobuchar coming uh around to uh Joe Biden it really showed that um you know there was a hunger for an alternative vision that was maybe a little bit more moderate in in its approach and um I think that they definitely had an impact uh especially early on right after they were made that, um, you know, the resources of sort of the uh, establishment uh, and the Democratic Party uh, were going to fall in line behind Joe Biden. Um, so uh, I think it really just feeds into the narrative that there is strong motivation to beat Trump. Uh, and there's a desire
0: to make that happen, which um, explains for uh, that fall, them falling in line pretty quickly. Um, it's been written that sort of a lot of democratic strateg- strategists had preached for more than a year that a that the consolidation of black voters behind a single candidate provides an almost overwhelming advantage when trying to accumu- accumulate delegates. Um, and we've seen from exit polls in all of the in the majority of the races since Super Tuesday, or actually since uh, South Carolina, that Biden has done extremely well with African American voters, whereas. Um, Sanders has really, really struggled to make inroads there. What, I mean, you're not African-American. You can't speak for African-Americans, but I'm just... I am interested to note why has Sanders struggled to make headway in that demographic, particularly when he's talking about some things that will really, really benefit folks um, from those demographics around, you know, single-payer healthcare and, and the like, potentially, or potentially... Sorry, I should say potentially benefit those people. You know?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I think... Um a bit hard for me to say, um, but, uh, you know, there was some success that he had, especially with, uh, the Latino demographic, uh, Bernie Sanders had. Um, but you know, I think part of it is not necessarily, um, a challenge that was intrinsic to Bernie Sanders' candidacy as much as, um, the advantages were at, intrinsically to the advantage of joe biden's candidacy so for example joe biden is a known entity has been sort of around and a prominent figure within democratic politics for a long long time um and whereas bernie sanders until 2016 was a bit more of a fringe player honestly Mm. and um joe biden also was barack obama's running mate so even if um you know Obama you know a lot has been made about Obama not endorsing him which I think you know it's not it's it's un- not it's not precedented for a former president to sort of step into the primary really mm. you know in a public way like that but you know, I think that definitely helps and um sort of uh being uh being around for a long time and being you know well liked, I think, is uh, is a big part of that.
0: Just looking at the results in uh, in Michigan, in particular, but uh, also including uh, some of the other sort of battleground states for the general. Um, this is for the second consecutive week. Biden, who was a beneficiary of increased turnout compared with that of 2016, um, often in the sort of suburban jurisdictions that power the Democrats, big gains in the midterms that you mentioned before. For example, like in Oakland County, Michigan, the, the, the Detroit suburb where uh, Representative Haley Stevens picked up a Republican held seat in 2018, Biden was winning by nearly 30 points uh, and turnout was. Uh, on track to be twice as as big as it was four years ago, there's a bit of an argument starting to be pushed around that in 2016, people both in the primary race in Michigan and then in the general were actually not voting for Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump, but they were voting against Hillary Clinton Um, because if you then fast-forward to 2018 and now 2020, these primaries particularly amongst um, suburban white-collar and blue-collar... Sorry, suburban white voters of both blue and white-collar have come back to the Democratic Party in 2018 in the midterms and come back in terms of supporting a moderate candidate in Joe Biden. How much do we read into this? What, What are your thoughts on that? Is this a bit harsh on Hillary? Well, any theory about
1: Hillary is going to be a bit harsh for her, I think, is the general rule. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think maybe there is some, some truth to that. It's definitely an interesting, uh, theory and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be one of the more, um, uh, scrutinized patterns as we get closer to the, uh, to the election. Um, but there was no doubt that, uh, Hillary, uh, was a very toxic figure, uh, within, uh, you know, the American, American politics, And, you know, Trump needs that. His whole politics is predicated on running against someone who can be vilified as another, as a toxic figure. And you see him trying to do that to Joe Biden. Um, But I think Joe Biden, uh, you know, definitely will have to answer for some parts of his record, but um, certainly has less baggage um, than Hillary Uh, starting with his gender.
0: Further to that then, then moving away from Hillary and actually now putting the spotlight on on Sanders, his pitch has been for a long time that only he can beat Donald Trump. It's on all their rally placards and it's on their website. But now we've seen uh, Sanders resoundingly get defeated by Biden in swing states that will be so important in the general, like Michigan, like Florida, like, he didn't... I don't think he's won... I don't think Sanders won a county in Florida on Tuesday, like Virginia, like North Carolina. Um, this coalition that's, that is coalescing around uh, Biden's campaign is basically the majority of the Democratic Party, except for young people. Um, has this been a failure of Sanders and his campaign to build a coalition beyond what he had established in 2016? And why? Because obviously it has been.
1: Well, I think to be successful in running for president, your coalition has to um, be broad. Uh, Not only uh, do you have to bring in new people, but you have to be able to convince the uh, voters who are very active within politics or who are really... um, you know, paying attention to these things, uh, you have to sort of build a support, a base of support that sort of can bring both those sort of camps into your behind your into your campaign. And what you're, what I think you see um, from Bernie Sanders is that um, two things stand out to me uh, as sort of the takeaways from his candidacy. Number one is. His policies and his ideas are very popular, I think broadly speaking. However, his politics aren't quite as popular, um, and I think the messenger, uh, especially within the war, like a digital first media environment that we're in, the messenger sort of really
0: matters. And um, uh, so, do you think he's no. a bad? Do you think he's a bad carrier of that narrative? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not
1: saying a bad carrier. I just think that maybe people are looking for something a little bit different stylistically. Could be. There was an article. Um, there was an
0: article in the New York Times today where Alexander Acario Cortez had said that we that that progressives need to get better at persuading moderates. That we. Uh,
1: well, this goes back to my my the original point that I was making that you know you've got to be able to build this broad based coalition and where Bernie. Bernie sort of went all in on tearing down this like, establishment and he was running as this sort of rogue outsider who was going to totally change things up. And I think, you know, when you're trying to sort of get people around the idea of Medicare for all, single payer health care, uh, canceling student debt, um, letting murderers vote from prison you know, when you're trying to get people's minds around these ideas that are traditionally not broadly supported, um, to hear that, you know, you're going to tear down the system and rebuild it again. Um, I think sort of doesn't build that, uh, broad based coalition that, uh, that you need to get over the top and win the nomination, which is why that I think you saw his support
0: sort of Um, tap out around 30 to 35% here in the primary. He, at this stage, has not yet made an announcement as to what his intentions are going forward. We're supposed to have a um, primary in Puerto Rico on March 20, and then on uh, April 4, there's meant to be the uh, Alaska, Hawaii, and Wyoming uh, votes. Wyoming's a caucus um, in which, in 2016, Sanders won all three of those against Clinton, Uh, and then Wisconsin on Tuesday, the uh, 7th of April, another one that Sanders had won. He's now further behind than he he was against Clinton uh, uh, four years ago. Uh, He's further behind than what Hillary was to Obama in 2008, but he hasn't really given any, any indication as to what he's going to do with his campaign, and if you're trying to read as much as you can in the papers, some of his surrogates are saying that he, he's got nothing to lose, he should keep going on, it's good to have a contest. Other people, obviously, who are more in the sort of the establishment or the moderate side of the party saying, this is suicide. Uh, you know, there's a global pandemic going on right now. That is what our focus is on. We should not be having uh, these primaries where it actually is a bad thing to do to bring people together in confined spaces and ask them to actually cast their ballots um what are your thoughts on this you know he sent out an email today or yesterday to his supporters but didn't ask for money that's the first time he's done that in a long long time um are we going to see him pull out of the race in the next couple of days or do you think he's going to take it all the way through
1: it's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, because bernie is a shrewd politician uh i think you know, there's a there's a strong desire to beat Donald Trump among Democratic voters, um, and I think Bernie shares that as much as anybody else. Does he? Um, yeah, I think he really does because he knows his agenda has no chance with with Donald Trump in there.
0: He's got a funny way of showing it. Uh, yeah,
1: he, he's an unorthodox guy. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, but the other thing that I will say is that, um, I think he's going to try and use this moment to really push his agenda in a way that can hopefully, uh, add to, uh, Joe Biden's inevitable, what seems like an inevitable candidacy. And, um, I'm curious to see how, uh, coronavirus and its impact on our economy here in the United States is going to affect um, our politics, specifically around healthcare care and uh, debt. You know, we are a highly uh, indebted country among consumers and uh, housing uh, is going to be dramatically impacted by this. Um and so, but but particularly healthcare and uh, as well as sort of um, sick leave and paid leave and uh, you know how is he going to use this uh, inflection moment to really amplify that part of his agenda in a way that doesn't detract from uh, Joe Biden's candidacy?
0: But he can he can do that. He's now a national public figure. He can do that while still not running in. Yeah. D- Democratic primary. I, so just think-
1: I, I think he's trying to sort out sort of how the best way to go about this. Mm. I think, you know, there's also some behind the scenes mechanics involved that sort of means that he can't get out right now. Uh, you know, there's there's staff to think about. Uh, there is, you know, uh, he's got probably financial obligations within his campaign. And so I think that uh, it's not just so, e- you know, it's not that easy to uh to think about uh, just ending your campaign all at once bernie too also has a very loyal support base and um who who you know i think a portion of them i'm not sure how large or how significant but a, a portion to be sure are going to be uh reticent to vote for joe biden and so I think for him to just dramatically pull out of the race uh, would cause a bit of a political vacuum there. And I, I think
0: it's, it's wise for him to, to be uh, thoughtful in the way that he exits this race. What does uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders need to do to avoid what happened in 2016, where there still was a lot of division within the party heading into the presidential against Donald Trump? What do they need to do? publicly to make sure that I can heal these wounds from this, uh, primary contest going forward? Uh,
1: so I think, uh, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, are they to, how soon is Bernie going to start campaigning for Joe Biden? Uh, and in what capacity, uh, What are Joe, what are Bernie Sanders surrogates like an AOC going to do? Because those, you know, those surrogates have um, some politically symbolic significance. Uh, So I think I'd be looking at those two things. How soon is Bernie going to start campaigning for Joe Biden? And and what is his prominent surrogates do uh, in support of Joe Biden? Beyond that, I'd also be looking to see how uh, Joe Biden um, sort of gravitates around any of Bernie's policy priorities, um, if he does at all. So those those would be the things that I'd be looking at to to determine whether or not there's going to be a uh, more harmonious. Uh, general election campaign uh, for the Democrats in 2020 than in 2016. I would also say though that Joe Biden is certainly not um, as
0: uh, Joe Biden is certainly not as controversial as Hillary Clinton. One thing that Bernie Sanders' campaign has that Joe Biden doesn't really have is a strong um, organising capacity. I just wonder if Biden uh, in these days uh, and weeks can start to sort of send out signals, even, not even through the media, but actually on the ground itself, saying to young organisers that have been employed for the Bernie campaign that if you want a job going to the general, then, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a space, there's a place for you in our party and in our organisational side of the campaign.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of, like,
0: uh, ground game he can build. Hmm. He uh, said during the debate uh, on uh, the debate that was held in a studio because of coronavirus, it was scheduled to be in Arizona on Sunday night, US time, leading into Tuesday's primaries. Um, he said, uh, when I, sorry, say when I said he, Joe Biden, um, confirmed that his VP nomination would be a woman, and then the question was then put to Bernie Sanders, and he said most likely it would be. Um Speculation about who that person could be, and not necessarily a name, but what type of person would be um, second on the ticket in a in a in a Biden uh, general election contest against Donald Trump.
1: This is one of the more inside baseball uh, exercises when it comes to politics: is who is the nominee going yeah. to <laughs> choose to be their their running mate? Um, I think there's two schools of thought. Uh, number one is. Are you going to choose someone like a Stacey Abrams or uh, a Elizabeth Warren a um, or some other sort of like progressive icon um, who can help expand the electorate and bring new voters in? Or do you sort of take the more conservative approach, realizing that a key part, way you're going to win is by driving up votes in the suburbs and peeling away you know, some of those votes uh, from Donald Trump from last time. Because at the end of the day, this is about an electoral college uh, play. Mm. And so uh, Amy Klobuchar is certainly the name that uh, has that floated uh, frequently. Um, so there, there are two ways uh, to approach that question for Joe Biden, and it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes
0: out. Yeah. Um, with the coronavirus having such an impact on society in the United States, do you foresee this democratic primary season actually getting completed? I mean, I know that there's a possibility that you could move a lot of the ballots onto online voting, but even that, it would be a logistical nightmare that I think that would be hard to do at this point in time. But, like, are we going to see this through? Like, we could very much get to a point where, I mean, the 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 democratic... Uh, convention is due for the middle of July. You guys may still be in lockdown in July.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think anybody, anybody knows, and that's why a lot of eyes are on Bernie, um, to see you know, can he bow out of this. That being said, primaries are still significant for choosing the candidates running for other levels of office. Going from Senate and Governor all the way down to Mayor uh, of Towns, across the country so you know just by concluding the primary process for the presidency uh, that still causes a lot of upheaval uh, in American democracy and our our elections heading into 2020 and that has significant ramifications for a couple of reasons number one it will affect um, the potential Uh, partisan makeup of Congress in the House and the Senate. It also uh, will affect the control of state houses, which are going to be in charge of drawing uh, the new uh, boundaries, congressional boundaries, uh, at the conclusion of this year's census. So uh, this is a really um, uncertain time and unprecedented time uh, in the United States, but also around the world. Um, it's going to be fascinating
0: to see, uh, you know, how this all shakes out, uh, in November, even from a, just a purely logistical running a campaign as a candidate. like, you know, you, you, the, the pace of the campaign has literally come to a halt. Um, uh, you know, people are now the candidates are actually strictly confined by, you know, several factors, Um, They really can't travel. Um, Local events have all been shut down. There's a near blackout of news because everyone's... I mean, you read the New York Times. It's almost now difficult to find articles on the Democratic primaries because the first 60 articles are all related to coronavirus. Um, And the fact that... And you mentioned this earlier as well. The age of the two candidates, you know, they're in their 70s. They are prime targets for having a... um, ..contracting the virus and having a, a detrimental impact on their health. Um... There must be some real headaches going on right now in the DNC trying to sort out where they go from here and conversations with both camps
1: yeah absolutely and I think there is going to be a huge spotlight on Trump's performance here as a as an executive because uh, this has the potential to really undermine the sort of the myth around him uh, that he's a sort of
0: competent uh, and effective executive here's my last question which is going to, which is a great segue that you've just proposed there i've been having a debate not a debate but a rigorous conversation with friends around the world who are all watching what's going on in the united states right now and watching how donald trump is conducting himself as a leader of a nation and how he is like a chameleon and he is like water he just moves with it every time there are crises and there's been a lot of them or every time that he's leadership or his administration has been exposed for corruption and negligence and just absolute buffoonery he seems to he seems to overcome it and when i say he seems to overcome it how can we how can we measure that we can't okay we can look at polls and the polls have been largely the same for a period of time but they've bounced around a bit but generally speaking his base is very much locked in behind him, so that's the only way we can measure it. The other big measure, of course, was the 2018 midterms, and the Democrats won back the House. So there is a suggestion. There's also evidence out there to say that things aren't going great for Trump. But, and we'll find out in November, but um, some people, articles have been written. There was a very good piece written in The Atlantic uh, last week. There was a couple of good pieces written in The New York Times saying coronavirus will be the end of the Trump administration. And I keep on saying to my friends, we've read this before. We read this about the Mueller report. We read this about the impeachment trial. Um, The guy's still there. Um, Yeah. um, And and the thesis of the articles were, you can't vilify a virus. You can vilify, you know, the Democrats. You can vilify the mainstream media. You can find people to say, this is the enemy. But you can't vilify a virus. But if you look at the language of Trump, he's calling it the China coronavirus he's finding sure. he's finding people to pin this on um, is he going to slip through this as well what are you, what's your take on that right now and, and the think and I preface that question by saying things are changing every day so I know that your answer probably will be outdated by the time I publish this later on today but what are your thoughts on yeah. this, at this point in time
1: well I think it's certainly uh, definitely riskier for Trump politically than any other crisis he's faced so far uh, number one For the simple reason that it is, frankly, more tangible to voters than the Mueller report or or this sort of um, uh, almost stranger than fiction Russian interference and agent of of a foreign state conspiracy that's been hovering around him for the last few years. Uh, So it has a more immediate, tangible impact in people's lives. It's affecting their loved ones, and it's tying in to other issues that really affect the uh, campaign, like the economy, uh, which is also uh, how he's predicated his candidacy. I've delivered you a strong economy, therefore you should reelect me. If people start losing their jobs. They uh, become um, have a hard time affording health care and dealing with insurance companies. You're going to see um, a lot of uh, people start to uh, start to really question his approach, especially if people start dying due to a lack of um, uh, wide enough medical uh, uh, care, um, which is, you know, we're, we're facing a really serious risk of ventilator shortages here in the United States. So um, I think that you know if he's probably really scared about that but you brought up the whole idea of a chameleon uh, and the fact that he's been able to sort of survive all these uh, all these uh, scandals and risks in the past and I guess I would just say like we chameleons have this adaptive ability to sort of change to their environment uh, but they sort of like always do it the same way every time by changing the color of their their skin. And Trump's playbook is the same every time. He looks for that boogeyman. He really goes after uh, something he can pin as another to consolidate uh, support around him that is based on strong emotion uh, and is predicated on fear. And that's why you see him really zoning in on the this idea of the China virus and uh, trying to go after it that way. Uh, Interestingly, before uh, two days ago, Trump had tweeted about the coronavirus 41 times. Uh, As of two days ago, he hasn't referred to it as coronavirus since. It's always been the China virus. Mm. So Trump may be a chameleon, but we know the playbook. And the question is, um, is his playbook uh, going to get him through this? And we'll, um,
0: so it's we'll going it. to be
1: uh, fascinating to, to watch.
0: Yeah, it will be. Well, Sam, we appreciate uh, you taking time out of your busy schedule of being stuck in your apartment in Brooklyn to talk to us today. Um, and we uh, hope you and your family and your friends over in the US stay safe In what is incredibly difficult time. You too. I uh, wish the best for everyone here in Australia. Well, not here, but in Australia. Um, And I don't know when we're going to have another primary vote, so therefore I don't know when we're going to have another podcast. But uh, eventually, hopefully, um, democracy will return to the Democratic primary season and we can have another chat. But until then, be well um, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much.